The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I, I wanted to start out by sharing a story with y'all about a time whenever I was, I was younger. So I, was, I went to a, this Christian summer camp with our church, and this was the summer between third and fourth grade. It was this very pretty standard style church camp, uh, at least the standard back then. Now they like sleep in college dorms and it's much nicer, right? But we were sleeping in the, the barrack style. You had the bunk beds lining the walls. We played the water games. We listened to songs. We heard Bible stories. Pretty standard camp. I even, we even, ha- I'm, I'm at least old enough to where my parents gave me a payphone card and I was supposed to call, go to the payphone every night to call home to my mom so I can at least share that story with students because they don't know what that I'm talking about. And so, but it, it was your standard church camp, except for one night, um, our high school counselors decided that it was going to be scary story night, all right? So anyone who wanted to come listen to scary stories, they were going to come tell a bunch of scary stories. So they took us to one of the barracks that was not being used, and the reason it wasn't being used was because there were kids that were murdered there, right? At least that, right? That's what they told us. Uh, and so we go, we go, and... It wasn't your typical camp scary stories. <laughs> it, it wasn't the stories of ghosts. It wasn't the stories of monsters. Uh, these high schoolers told us these stories about stalkers, about kidnappers, about murders, and, and, of co- and all of it was 100% true, right? Um, and in my little third grade mind, I 100% believe that every single story they were telling me had actually happened at that camp. And so you can imagine later, right, parents find out there were some very unhappy parents with some camp counselors that year. Uh, Quite a few complaints were lodged to the church, uh, my parents included, uh, because after that for, and this is not an exaggeration, for about a year, a little over a year after that, I was scared of the dark. I I was completely afraid of the dark. no idea, because somebody was out there watching me, right? Someone was out there watching me, and I was so scared to the point to where I had to sleep with the lights on. And I, and I don't mean that I had to have a nightlight. I mean, I couldn't fall asleep unless the overhead light was on, and then my parents would come in later, turn it off. I'd wake up in the middle of the night to go back to sleep. I'd have to go flip it back on and, and, all, and all that mess, all right? Unhappy parents, but, of course, eventually I grew out of that fear of the dark, and right now I'm at a point to where I can't sleep if there's any light coming in. But I know everybody in here at some point has had some type of irrational fear, right? Whether it's I, people who are afraid that, like, snakes are coming up through the plumbing, uh, afraid, fear of spiders, fear of the dark, fear of heights. We all, we all have these fears, as kids, that most of the time we grow out of. Um, But yet when we become adults, our fears are a little more subtle, um, but they're just as scary, right? Whether it's fear of losing a job, fear of losing a loved one, fear of not having enough money, fear of not leaving the right legacy. We have all these fears that still seem to sometimes cripple us and keep us frozen just as much as I was frozen in my bed as a third grader, not able to move because I was scared of what was out there. Uh, We still have those those fears. 
And so what we're going to be doing this morning is we're going to be walking through uh, three stories in Mark. And these three miracles that Jesus does, starting in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And in these three miracles, we are going to trace the theme of fear through these miracles. That, that Jesus and the people he is working with, whether it's disciples or whether it's people in the crowd, that they are all struggling with a fear. And what we're going to see is that fear tells us lies. That fear tells us lies and it gets in the way of our faith. So the first miracle we're going to look at is Jesus calming the storm on the Sea of Galilee. And fears lie in this miracle, fears lie in this episode, is that God does not care. So fears lie is that God does not care. So setting the stage, the disciples had just had a very long day, a very long day, and Jesus says, we're going to cross the Sea of Galilee over into Gentile country. So they're heading into Gentile country. It's nighttime, it's the middle of the night, and they are rowing across the sea. And it says, while they are in the middle of the lake, a great storm arises. That the wind is howling, the waves are crashing, the rain is coming down, and they are afraid. Right? They are scared. Their boat is going to capsize. Uh, I've, I had the chance to go to Israel several years ago, um, and they have found a first century, the, the remains of a first century boat and it is not big, okay? Uh, it is not a big boat. It's about what you would expect, almost the size of just a regular fishing boat these days. And so you can imagine you have these 13 men in this boat that's probably only about 10, 11 feet long. So it's already kind of crowded. Now you have wind. Now you have waves. And you can imagine right there, they got their buckets. They're throwing the water out. The waves are coming in. My guess is that Matthew, the tax collector, is probably seasick, right? He's throwing up over the side. Why in the world did I get in this boat? I don't know. And these experienced fishermen who were on the water all the time are afraid that they are going to die, right? They have men whose job is to be on the water, and yet they are afraid they're about to die. But then we get this picture of Jesus. I'm going to start reading in verse 38. So it says, He, Jesus, was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be still. The wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Then he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked one another, Who then is this? Even the wind and the sea obey him. That these disciples who were scared out of their minds that they were about to die, they were basically positive they're going to die. And in their fear, they asked this question to Jesus, and you can see that lie coming straight through. Teacher, rabbi, don't you care? Don't you care that we're about to die? How can you be asleep at a time like this? That Jesus' calmness in the midst of the storm led his disciples to believe that he must actually 
not care about them. The fact that in that moment, Jesus wasn't doing what they wanted him to do, he must not care about them. And how often do we fall prey to this same thought? That, that the storms of our life are raging around us. That we have family members who are sick. We have family members who have just lost a job. We have friends who are fighting cancer, not sure what is about to happen. We're living paycheck to paycheck. We're drowning in debt. And it just seems like the storms are raging. Your marriage is two seconds from falling apart. Your boyfriend, girlfriend just broke up with you. Your children aren't following the Lord. And it just seems like the storm is raging and you're crying out, why isn't, Jesus, why aren't you doing something? And that thought creeps in. Jesus, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care that I'm going through this? It seems like you don't right now. But, but, the very fact that Jesus was in that boat with his disciples is 100% proof to us that Jesus cares about us in 2018. That Jesus came down from the throne room of God to walk on the earth, to be with his disciples, to live the life that we could not live, to die the death that we deserved because he loves us. Because he cares about us so much more than we can even imagine. So as fear tells us that God does not care, we hang on to the truth that God cared enough to die. That God does care. And you can see that whenever he does calm that storm, that the disciples' fear shifts. Right? It shifts from the fear of don't you care to the fear of what have I just come into contact with. But, but here's the harder truth. That even though Jesus calmed the storm for the disciples, he doesn't calm every storm. And that he doesn't calm the storm, every storm for the disciples. That all of these disciples are going to end up dying for the cause of Jesus. Except for one who was exiled. Still, still not great. That even though he calmed that storm, he does not promise that every storm will be calm, but we can still hold on to the truth that Jesus cares in the midst of the storm, that Jesus still cared to the point of death, and that Jesus still loves us no matter what is raging. And so Jesus calms the storm, and they continue on to the other side of the lake where we've seen Jesus' power over nature, and now we're going to see Jesus' power over the spiritual forces, Jesus' power over the enemy. Because fear's second lie that we're going to see is fear's second lie is that I need to be in control. So Jesus, they land on the other side of the sea, and they are now in Gentile country. This is not a place where Jewish people went anyway, but at this place, there was a demon-possessed man. 
right, that says that he lived in the tombs. He lived among the dead, the picture of his soul. And it says that they would shackle him with iron, but he would break through the shackles. It says that he would cut himself with stones. He would howl and he would scream. And this is where Jesus lands the boat. And, you know, and, I, and I think, right, that Jesus purposefully lands his boat here. And the disciples know exactly where Jesus has landed the boat, right? They're fishermen. They know the coastline. Because if, if when we read in here, you'll notice that when they landed, it doesn't say that they got out of the boat. It only says that he got out of the boat. The boat lands. It says that the man runs to greet them. So the man is running to greet them, this demon-possessed man. And it doesn't say they got out of the boat. It says he got out of the boat. Jesus got out of the boat because the disciples were chickens, right? I think me too, right? But the disciples, they don't get out of the boat. Even though they've just seen what Jesus has done to the storm, they stay in the boat. And then Jesus has this conversation with the man, um, starting in Mark chapter 5, verse 7, where Jesus has this conversation with the demon-possessed man. And it says, And he cried out with a loud voice. This is the demon-possessed man. What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And what is your name? Jesus asked him. My name is Legion, he answered, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. And a large herd of pigs was there, feeding on the hillside. And the demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. And according to my old professor, Dr. Pate, this was the very first example of suicide. <laughs> that joke kills in Arkansas. I was worried about the joke in Georgia. <laughs> All right, but what, what I like about this conversation is that the demons, they don't try to win. Right? There's, there's not even an attempt to win. Their goal is just to lose better. Similar to being a Razorback fan, right? Let's lose with dignity. Okay, but their goal was just to lose better. That they ask, can, I, can we, we don't want to be sent back to hell. We don't want to be sent back to Hades. Instead, just send us unclean spirits into those unclean animals. Just send us over there and we'll be, we'll be all right. And so the pig farmers, um, it's, you can imagine kind of their dismay at this point, right? That, that these unclean spirits have just gone into their pigs and their livestock has, has just rushed off the cliff and died. And it says that they rush off to tell the town what had just happened. Because this man had a reputation. Nobody could control this man. They couldn't do anything, but yet Jesus has just commanded these demons to come out of him. And it says they come back, and they find Jesus and the man having a normal conversation. And it says, and they were afraid. Then 
they began to beg him to leave their region. Now we see both the disciples and these townspeople are afraid of the unknown, afraid of the enemy, but I think mostly they're afraid of what they cannot control. They've seen something they could not control, this man, but now Jesus, with just his voice, has done something they could never do, and this power scares them. Now, luckily, luckily, right, the disciples, they move past this fear. They spend time with Jesus. They move past this fear, and they are people who will eventually trek into the world, into the unknown, fearlessly going against the enemy, fearlessly going up against demons. But I have to sit here and think, what did the townspeople miss out on because these pig farmers were afraid? Because they were afraid and they begged Jesus to leave. You know, I have to think that based on most of the Gospels, if they would have invited Jesus to come back into the town, what would have happened? He would have healed their sick. He would have exercised more demons. That, that these, this town, this Gentile town, would have had irreplaceable contact with the Son of God. And that eventually news would have gotten back to them later that this man who came and did all these miracles in your town, he was crucified, but yet then he was resurrected. And I have to believe, right, that if you come into contact with Jesus and then you hear this, that this could have been a whole community who came to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But because a few people were afraid and pushed Jesus away, they missed out on that opportunity because they were afraid of what not being in control. They missed out on the power of Jesus. How, how often do we stay stagnant? Do we stay in the same spot? Do we stay feet planted because of fear? Whether it's the fear of rejection the fear of just looking silly, the fear of stepping on toes, the fear of losing friends, the fear of looking dumb, the fear of other people. That the fear that comes with relationships with others keeps us from taking that extra step. That the fear of losing things keeps us where we are and keeps us from going across the street across the county, across the state. I was, I was thinking about on my life recently um, and thinking that, that I've, God has been having me do in the past three, two, three years some, some scary things. And I think in hindsight more scary than I realized, right? Because I'm young and dumb. Right, but, but it, was, it was scary whenever God called us to move from northwest Arkansas to go live in West Palm Beach, 19 hours away from our family. That, that was scary. Uh, my wife was teaching in a school where her, she had a student get shot in drive, a drive-by that, that basically, um, not every week, but at least once a month, she couldn't drive home the best way because there was some murder in the street blocking the road and she had to go a different way. Right? <laughs> 
I think if I'd have known that ahead of time, I'd have said, let's not take that job. Let's take a different job. But that was scary. And I think what's even more scary is knowing that I'm about to be a dad. That's scary. It's scarier every time I talk about it. And, and it's scary knowing that God could call us to go to someplace even scarier. And that I've already told God that I'll go wherever he says, and now I've got to do it. Right? But, I mean, that's scary, but going into a middle school today is scary. Talking to your neighbor who the only time they go outside is just to get to the garage to get in their car. That's the only time you ever see them, right? That's scary. But we have a God who has power over the unknown, and he is the one who is in control, and that we have to be able to move past that fear. All right, so the third and final episode. So we... they. Um, Jesus exercises the demons, and then he says, let's go back to the other side of the sea. All right, so he had a purpose, right? He went there, and now let's go back over to Galilee. So they get back in the boat. They go back over to the other side, and it says that when he gets there, they're greeted by a crowd, greeted by a huge crowd that is following Jesus. And it says a synagogue leader, Jairus, comes to meet him, and he says my 12-year-old daughter is sick. I need you to come heal her. And so Jesus is walking with this man, and while he's walking with this man, the story is interrupted by a woman who has a bleeding problem. So we have two stories mixed into one with this one. We're going to come back to the interruption in a second. Okay, but the interruption happens, and then Jesus continues on with this man, and as soon as the interruption is over, uh, a messenger comes up to Jesus and Jairus, and he says, leave the teacher alone. Your daughter has now died. You don't, you don't need Jesus anymore. He can't heal your daughter. Your daughter has died. And this is, this is what Jesus says to him uh, in Mark five thirty six. He just says, don't be afraid. Only believe. With, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever been with somebody when they have heard the news of, an, of a death of a child or a grandchild, but the look that comes over their face is, is a, an emotion and expression that is impossible to put into words. That, that the pain that is 100% present. They, they, you, you have no idea how to, how to say anything, how to respond. You just, to really, you know, you, you just be there with them. But yet, Jesus' response is, don't be afraid, only believe. And how hard that must have been to hear. That, that, that you've just heard that your daughter has died and Jesus says, don't be afraid, only believe. Because Jesus knows that fear stifles faith. That, that this lie that fear tells, that 
faith is no good. That this lie that fear tells that your faith doesn't matter. Because this is, this is the relationship I like to imagine between fear and faith. Uh, I've never been bungee jumping, but if I ever did, and I think maybe if I was a bachelor I would, but I'm not going to, but if I ever did, I feel like this is how it would happen. All right, so be really excited going to it, right? I have all the faith in the world. People go bungee jumping all the time. Uh, this cord is going to hold me. It's going to be a blast. Pumped on the way there, right? You get there, you're on top of the bridge, and all of a sudden, this bridge looks a little higher than I thought, right? Uh, that band, that little rubber band isn't quite as thick as I thought it was going to be, and maybe my faith that I'm not going to die is starting to diminish a little bit as I become a little more afraid, right? And then as I finally stand on the platform, and I'm looking over uh, my faith in this process has completely been eroded, <laughs> right? There's, there is no way that this rubber band is going to keep me from dying. I do not believe you. That is why you have me sign this paper saying I'm not going to sue you if I die. Right? I no longer have any faith. And so do I jump? Probably not. Uh, I say I don't even want my money back, right? Just keep it. I'm... Just not doing this. Because fear erodes faith. That's why Jesus' his encouragement is just don't be afraid, only believe. Now, unfortunately, we don't always have Jesus' audible voice right next to us giving us that encouragement. But... Whenever fear starts to creep in, whenever you forget everything that you ever had faith in, when all you can think of is what is going to go wrong, we still have Jesus right there next to us saying, don't be afraid, only believe. And Jairus, guess what? He pushed his fear away, he believed, and Jesus went with him, and resurrected his little 12-year-old daughter. That Jairus got to see the miracle of Jesus raising his daughter from the dead because he pushed fear away, and he said, faith does matter. Faith does matter. Jesus can do great things, and I'm going to believe. And so in, in this last, we're going to go back to the interruption now, okay? We're going to go back to the interruption, and we're going to see faith's truth, okay, which we've kind of seen throughout, but faith's truth, which is that God has the power, which is that God has the power. And so Jesus, on his way with Jairus, is interrupted by this lady who it says that she has had a bleeding problem for 12 years. Now, this is bad enough in itself, right, but just from the physical side of it, but from the social side of it, in Jewish culture, when you, when you were bleeding, you then became ceremonially unclean. And so she was not only physically sick, right, but she's emotionally sick because she is a pariah cut off from culture, from life. And not only that, but it says that she has spent all of her money trying to get doctors to fix her, and all they have done is made things worse. 
And so now she's a social pariah. She has, she's economically struggling. She's just getting worse and worse and worse. And she is basically at her last resort. And this is, this is what she does. In Mark chapter 5, verse 28, For she said, If I just touch his clothes, I'll be made well. So she reached out, and instantly her flow of blood ceased, and she sensed in her body that she was healed of her affliction. And at once Jesus realized in himself that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing against you, and yet you say, who touched me? But he was looking around to see who had done this. And the woman, with fear and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed from your affliction. That faith flings wide the gate to receive God's power. That this woman had faith. That she said, this is Jesus. If I can just touch him, he doesn't have to know I'm doing it. If I can just touch him, I will be healed. And then afterwards, right, that's where she has this fear like the disciples had after Jesus calmed the storm, that this fear of fear and trembling, that this respect of what have I just come into contact with, that who have I just encountered. That's the kind of fear that we need. That's the kind of fear that I want to experience, right? Because fear says just do the small things, right? Fear says just do what you know you can do. And doing the small things is important and necessary, right? You got to do the small things. But when we're just content to just only stay asking for doing the small things, and we're at this point to where everything we pray for, everything we ask for, everything we attempt is things that we can explain away with good planning and good execution. Instead of saying, I have the faith that God is going to do something that only God can do. That I'm not, this isn't something I can explain away. This isn't something that I could have done on my own, but that I'm going to pray and ask and attempt things that only God can do. That I want to experience the miracle working power of Jesus. Because the same Jesus... The same Jesus that healed Jairus' daughter, that healed this woman, that calmed the storm, that exercised the demons, is the same Jesus who we worship today. Where I want to say, Jesus, do something mighty. Do something that causes me to have fear and trembling. A final, a final theme that touches fear that runs through all these episodes, which you might have already noticed, is, is death. That the disciples thought they were going to die. That the demon-possessed man was living in the tombs, this picture of his soul. That Jairus' daughter did die. 
and that this bleeding woman was essentially just waiting to die. That Jesus pulls people back from the brink of destruction and that we, we can know and have faith and trust that God who has saved us from death, that when God has saved us from death, that there is nothing that can stand in our way. That when God has saved us from death, that there is nothing to be afraid of. That the storms might come, the problems might come, the enemy will come, but we can trust that it is God who has the power, that we can trust that it is God who we are leaning on. So as, as we're wrapping up, um, as John, if, if y'all make your way back up, that, that, that as we finish, as we close, that, that you would look internally, that you would pray, reflect, say, God, what fear am I holding on to? God, what fear is latching onto my faith? Is it a fear of nature? Is it a fear of the enemy? Is it a fear of sickness, a fear of death? Lord, what, what fear is holding me back? And Lord, I want to give that to you. Lord, that the only fear that I would have would be the fear of fear and trembling, the fear of respect, of knowing that I have a God who is in control. And that maybe your fear is that I don't know what's next. I don't know, I don't know if I were to die. If I was in this situation, I don't know what's next. That I have fear because I don't know Jesus. And if that's you, then as, as we sing, if you would come forward, and I, I, we can pray with you. We have people here who will be happy to share with you of the loving, fear-driving-out Savior that we have. Let, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll, we'll worship. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.